And it's my privilege to be back in the pulpit this morning, continuing to work our path through the book of Hebrews. Originally, I'd kind of anticipated moving into chapter 5 of Hebrews today, but I realized there's one final passage from chapter 4 that we really should engage with. Partially because this passage stands as likely one of the most quoted passages anywhere in Hebrews, and rightly so. It deals with our, the entire source of our hope as believers. It is defining of who we are as Christians. And as such, it's important for us to engage it rightly. And so, would you please join me in reading Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 9 through to verse 13. Again, that's Hebrews 4, starting in verse 9, and then we'll move through to verse 13. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May God use his word this morning to teach and to reprove and to correct and to train his people in righteousness. Would you join with me in prayer? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have promised to be faithful in using your word to conform us to the likeness of Christ. We thank you that you sent your Son, the incarnate word, that you've given us the scriptures, the written word. And Lord, you have shown us by your Spirit yourself. Lord, may we each day engage with you. May we each day be forced to wrestle with our own selfish and sinful thoughts and put it to death daily. That we might know your word and understand it rightly. God, as we worship together and spend time here, we just ask that God, you would be at work in the hearts of your people. We ask that you would teach us what it means to strive to enter the rest that you have provided for your people. And that we would not be content to rest in what we have, but that we would ever be seeking a greater and a deeper and a more true knowledge of you. That by our actions we would prove our faith to be vital. Lord, we trust these things into your care. 
We ask that your word would be at work in the hearts of your people. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and no creature is hidden from his sight. This is truly a passage that as believers we need to we need to embrace and we need to understand. Christians have long been known as people of the book. That moniker likely arose in the early 7th century from Islamic origins. The Quran refers to Jews and Christians as people of the book. And it shouldn't surprise us that we as believers have happily adopted that moniker. It quite accurately describes much of what we believe. That book, the Bible, Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, is foundational to who we are and what we believe. It isn't by accident that the first article of the Elk Point Baptist Church Statement of Faith deals with our understanding of the Bible. And I think it's important for us as attendees of Elk Point Baptist Church to know what it is that this church stands for and what our statement of faith is. So if you haven't taken the time to truly read it over, or I know all of our members have because you have to, but if you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to do so. Our statement on the Bible says, we believe the Bible to be the complete Word of God. That the 66 books as originally written, comprising the Old and New Testament, were verbally inspired by the Spirit of God, and therefore entirely free from error. That the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, and the true basis of Christian union. As benefactors of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the five solas have also been very important to our church. Traditionally, the first in that list of five crucial Christian doctrines has been sola scriptura. That is scripture alone, stating that scripture is to be understood as the sole source of divine revelation, the only inspired, infallible, final, and authoritative norm for faith and practice. So we at Elk Point Baptist Church should happily identify ourselves as people of the book. The Word of God is our final authority in all manners of faith and practice. But as we read this passage, if we're paying attention, we should also find ourselves asking the question, okay, the Bible is the Word of God, but Christ, first and foremost, is also referred to as the Word of God. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And in our passage, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And moving down, don't miss, and no creature is hidden from his sight. As we try to understand this, I'd appreciate you looking back with me to 
the very first words of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ was and is God's ultimate revelation of himself to his people. No longer was God speaking to his people through a mediator. No longer was Moses or Aaron or any prophet or a priest necessary to stand between God's people and God. No, God himself had come in Christ. We are told that in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Brothers and sisters, we must regularly thank God for the incarnation of Christ that he has come for. Without it, we would be totally lost. But how do we deal with this as 21st century believers? We don't see Christ today in person. He doesn't walk among us physically. Unlike the Apostle Thomas, we cannot touch the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side and know as the disciples did through personal, tangible experience the truth of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and glorification. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the Word that John said was in the beginning, who was with God and was God, Christ has been glorified and is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. Whenever I read the story of Thomas and his doubting and him saying, I need to touch his hands, I need to touch his side to believe it. I can't help but finding myself just imagining what it would be like to have been able to be that, to have seen in person what Christ has done, to see him feeding the 5,000, to be there when he called Lazarus out of the grave. I can't help but imagine what it would be like to be there and think, you know what, that would really set me up. I couldn't deny, I couldn't fall away, I, I saw it before me. And yet, there were many who did. There were many who saw Christ face to face, who saw him do things that are beyond our comprehension. And even to the disciples, Christ said that it was to their benefit that he would leave, that he might send the Holy Spirit. To cross over a little bit with Pastor Jim's message from two weeks ago and this one from three weeks ago, 
Christ told his disciples that he must go, that he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would specifically guide the apostles into all truth. Loosely quoting Jim, the Spirit would then inspire these holy men to reveal in writing the entire authority, unity, and first-hand witness of the Godhead. Through the scriptures, we receive personal guidance from the Spirit as we read the word that he wrote. That is why we rightly refer to both Jesus and to scriptures as the word of God. Because Jesus is the eternal word of God. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Psalm 119, verse 160, says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Christ is the sum of the word of God. He is God. And as believers today, we can know that truth of the word by the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating the scriptures which he himself inspired the apostles to write. The word of God is Christ, the incarnate word. He is revealed by the Spirit in scripture, the written word. And that word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We must understand that our passage today is both a warning and an encouragement. I would argue that it's probably more warning than encouragement. It comes at the end of a passage that detailed how the Israelite people, another people who saw the very acts of God splitting the sea, traveling as a pillar of cloud and of fire, and how they came to be denied entry into the promised land that God had given them, that God had prepared for them, because their failure to obey his commandments. And those among us who have genuinely believed will enter the rest that God has promised for us. But some will fail to enter because of disobedience. This rest that it's talking about here is our final rest. Our life here on this earth, we may experience moments of what feels like temporary rest where we feel like we've really been able to rest in the love and care and the strengthening of God. But this rest that we must strive towards is that final rest where the veracity of our faith is confirmed and we are welcomed into our promised land. And the word of God is the arbiter of who shall enter that promised rest. Scriptures give us many different reasons of why Christ came to earth. To glorify the name of the Father, to seek and to save the lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to testify to the truth, for judgment, 
to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wake up. But even though we have been given many reasons as to why Christ came and is on earth, many of us fail to spend long periods of time to think of Christ's current ministry and the ministry that he has had since being glorified. We know that what he was sent to earth to do has been accomplished because he is the incarnate word. Now one of the great functions of Christ glorified and sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high is to be the final judge of man. Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This judgment comes because God has, by his written and incarnate word, laid us all bare before him. We have no excuse because the word of God has made clear the commandments of God. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves and we are to be holy as he is holy. A favorite moniker of Jim and mine is we have been commanded to do what only God can do. There's a reason that many of those cutesy Christian motivational posters and Facebook posts love to quote the first half of Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sounds great. But there's an even clearer reason why the second half gets much less attention. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When it's talking about the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, this is the author's way of getting through to our head, it will divide down to the very least. It will cut through any and all hiding places that we have. This isn't a, okay, you've got soul and spirit, joints and marrow. These aren't different parts. This is the whole human being. It will divide down all the way through. Charles Spurgeon once said that a sword has two sword with two edges has no blunt side. It cuts both this way and that. The word of God is edge all over. It is alive in every part. 
and in every part keen to cut the conscience and wound the heart. Depend on it. Not a verse in the Bible is superfluous, nor a chapter that is useless. God is faithful to use his word. And he has given it to us that his truth might be proclaimed to all the nations. But that truth is just as pointed at our own hearts as it is at the world's. That's why it's used in this context in our passage today. We know that because God's truth is so sharp, laying us before the king, we must strive to enter that rest that is promised to those who trust him. Strive that we ourselves and that none among us would fail to enter by the same sort of disobedience as we see from the people of Israel. If we pay attention today, we do see that our passage is primarily about the Word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, the key evidence is verse 13. No creature is hidden from His sight. this is a continuation of what the author of Hebrews has said right from the beginning. Long ago, God spoke to believers by the prophets. But today he has spoken to us by his son. And why is this important? Why does it matter that Christ is the word of God? Why do we care if it is Christ or the Bible who is living and active, piercing our whole being? Because that is the basis on which we strive to enter the promised rest of God. Too often we see pictures of Jesus petting a lamb, holding a child, looking all serene and kind, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But does our passage's description of Christ feel meek and mild to you? Does the image of a double-edged sword cutting back and forth, laying your innermost being bare before the judge of your souls, give you the same warm and fuzzy feelings that you get when you think of the passages that describe Jesus as being moved with compassion for the crowds who were hanging on his every word. Indeed, we do have a Savior who can be tender and compassionate. Lord willing, soon we will be moving into passages that speak of Jesus as high priest. We're told a true high priest could deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. But our Savior is also powerful. The wind and the waves, when Jesus spoke to them from that boat, knew who was talking to them. And they stopped. They listened to the command of their Creator. When Lazarus was commanded to come forth from the grave, there was no hesitation. He obeyed. He came forth from the grave. Our Savior is also unyielding in His holiness. Jesus' dealings with the hypocritical Pharisees was 
much less than gentle. He called them whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers. He drove the money changers out of the temple, overturning tables and lashing them with a whip of cords that he made himself. I remember as a young boy, a song that my mom would often sing, my sister and I, after my dad passed away. It was an old country music song by an artist called Holly Dunn, and it was called Daddy's Hands. I love that song, and I'll spare you my rendition of it, but the chorus went, Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand that there was always love in Daddy's hands. As sinful humans, we only deserve the hard-as-steel justice of our God, a justice that proceeds from His uncompromising holiness. We have done wrong before the Lord, and the wages of sin is death. Christ goes so far as to tell His disciples in Matthew 10, 28, He's sending them out, and He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But then in John 14, 23, Jesus says that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. The kind and the loving ministry of Christ is set aside for his people for those who keep his words, for those who obey his commandments and whose lives reflect that they understand from what they have been delivered and who they have been delivered by. Jesus Christ commands all his people to keep his word as a confirmation of their love for him. I can't stress enough the intimate and intricate connection between Christ as the eternal word made flesh and scripture as the written word recorded for us. As believers, we are followers of Christ. We are not people of the book first. We are people of Christ first and how we know him, how we know to follow Christ's commands is by the written word. And that has been preserved for us by God's grace and has been applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Think of your own Christian walk. How has God pierced your thoughts and your minds? What is the primary means of Correction that God has applied to your life. It is through the word of Christ. Not simply the red letter words. We don't flip through and find the stuff marked in red and go, that's the stuff that we need to really, really key on. But the whole word. The totality of Scripture, the Old and New Testament, the 66 books as originally inspired 
And by the application of the Holy Spirit, we meet Christ. To be called people of the book is high praise. Because those who are truly people of the book have taken to heart the encouragement of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Christ has given us his word to equip us and sent his spirit to apply that word that we may know him, that we may obey his commandments. Do not underestimate the power of scripture. When you specifically are called to strive to enter that rest that God has prepared for his people, how can we do that except by the words of scripture? If you think you can do otherwise and have found a great new way to do this, please let me know and I will find a way to prove you wrong. How do you know that you are sinful? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the price that God's justice requires of sinners? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. How can you be saved? Romans 10.9 Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You are saved from sin, but what are you saved unto? Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This one here? There we go. I'll move over here. God has prepared these good works for us to do, that we should walk in them. If you claim belief in Christ, the incarnate word, and are not as a person who is steeped in the word. Well, Jesus says in John 12, 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. We live in a world that is a graveyard of lost souls. Brothers and sisters, we ourselves were dead in our sins before Christ came and restored us to life. In Proverbs 4, there's a father instructing his son. He says, Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. This world doesn't need more self-help books. No seminar or guru or supplement can prepare a person's soul to be laid bare before the living word of God. To be made naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The world needs a life that can only be found in the word. 
by the sovereign election of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in the truth of the gospel that can be found in the pages in scripture, those whom God foreknew before the foundation of the world can and will be reborn. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself to us. To be exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account need not be necessarily a fearful thing. Because for our sake, God made him sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. But if God has truly done that work in our lives, then we will continue to strive. Because God also works in us us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. Jesus Christ is the incarnate word who always was, is today, and always will be. And we know him through his word. Christ himself gave us his word in scripture. These pages of this book stand as encouragement and as nourishing food and as the sword of the Spirit, part of the armor of God which is laid out in Ephesians 6 that we are told is designed that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all, stand firm. But Christ and his word is also standing, hanging over the heads of those who have not believed and are facing judgment. The difference between the two states in which man may find himself, between being judged by the word and being comforted by it, are determined by the condition of our souls, are determined by who is Lord of our lives. Paul told the church in Corinth that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I pray that the living and active word of God, when at the end of my days, divides me down to soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of my heart, when I am naked and exposed to the eyes of whom I must give an account, that I will be judged as having striven to enter the rest of God. I pray that the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 might be my own someday. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And it is my sincere desire, brothers and sisters, that you might be among those who have loved his appearing that you might submit yourselves to the holy word of God and that we will praise him evermore together in glory. Let each of us examine ourselves and determine that we will not fall by disobedience, but that we might hold firm our confidence in Christ, the incarnate word of God, and hold fast to the very end. Would you pray with me? 
Our God and our Heavenly Father, you have given us your word. You've given us Christ. You have given us the scriptures. You've given us what we need along with your Holy Spirit to come to know you. And I pray that if there are any here or any online who hear this message, that they might know their need for you. That they might seek you and strive to know you. And God, when we come to the end of our days, we ask that your word would have proven to be of great effect in our hearts and our lives, and it will have conformed us to the likeness of Christ. That we might have been faithful servants of your truth in our lives here on earth. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that you did not leave us to our own devices knowing that we in no way are able to save ourselves. But that you have proven that you are a good and holy God and that you love us. That you love your people. God, go with us this week. May we strive to enter the rest that you have prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. And may our knowledge of Christ, may our knowledge of the word grow each day. May we steep ourselves in your word. We thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.